Welcome to the A&A Podcast, the Catch-All Christian Podcast where we talk about Jesus, apologetics, theology, and more. We hope to provide a biblical perspective on issues facing young adults today and pray our conversations would draw you closer to the heart of Jesus through each episode. Welcome to the A&A Podcast. back to the ANA podcast. I'm Ashley and today we are going to be talking about 1 Samuel. I'm going to break this into two parts because it got really long when I was um, writing for this episode. There's just a lot of little things that happened in this book um, that I thought were important to talk about. So I wrote them all and it's literally eight pages <laughs> of information. So I'm going to um, break it kind of in half and we'll go from there. Also, I just woke up from a nap and you can tell in my hair. So just pretend like I don't look like that. Anyway, um, so we just got done with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We just got done with Ruth. <laughs> the next section of books, First uh, and Second Samuel, First uh, and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, shifts into a new portion of Israel's history. Up to this point, we've seen the formation of the world, God raising up the nation of Israel, Israel, Israel bleh, falling into slavery. God delivering the people out of slavery and through the wilderness, settling into the promised land, and the period of the judges. Israel's rebellious cycle um, has been pretty cyclical up to this point. God delivers, Israel rejoices, um, then falls away, then judgment comes, then repentance, and the whole cycle kind of starts over again. Now Israel is beginning to move into a period where a monarchy is established, and this section of books uh, tells that story. So first, Samuel, who was the author of this book. Jewish tradition named Samuel as the author, first Samuel, up into his death um, in the later chapters. And then from there, they say that Nathan and Gad pick up through Second Samuel. However, it's pre- it's debated whether or not the tradition is correct. Some argue that later prophets pen the book, utilizing source documents um, from Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. I'll just link some sources down below that you can look into if you're uh, curious about the authorship. Uh, regardless, source material from Samuel, Nathan, and Gad was utilized um, no matter if they pen the books or not. We know that God speaks through the authors of scripture and so no matter who the human authors are, we know that God is there in that. So let's jump into the overview. Judges ends with the line, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. After the death of Joshua, the people had no king. Their rebellion led to a period of various rulers called the Judges. But the people of Israel were not united under a kingdom like the surrounding countries, wanted to be like the other nations, which was a big issue. Um, They were supposed to be different from the other nations and lead others to the true God, but instead they wanted to be like the other nations. Uh, They asked Samuel for a king, and thus the kingdom of of Israel begins. But this comes in 1 Samuel 8, so we have quite a few chapters to get through before we talk about that. So I'm going to back up and then first talk about uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 7. First Samuel begins with an introduction to a man named Elkanon uh, and his two wives, Paniah. I, whenever I look at this name, I like, my brain like times out. So Paniah and Hannah, they live during the endish uh, of the era of the judges. So towards the last several or last one of the judges. Paniah had many children, uh, while Hannah had none. The Bible describes her womb as being closed by God. The Bible also describes Hannah as the wife of 
that Elkanon loved. Panaya is described of Han- as Hannah's rival, and Panaya would, quote, provoke Hannah in order to irritate her. So that's pretty nice. First Samuel 1 7 says, This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So not a good situation going on between the two women. It's really interesting because in the Bible, whenever there is uh, poly... Wait, no, not polyamory. What's the... What's the word where it's multiple wives? Polygamy. Anyway, when, when there's polygamy in the Bible, it's never, it never goes well. And so the Bible, don't think that the Bible is like, yes, polygamy. It's not. Every time there's polygamy involved, things go awry. So anyway, um, it doesn't describe why Paniah would torment Hannah, but I kind of assume it's because she knew El, Elkanah. Elkanah? You guys, I can't say the name. Okay, how do you, Elkanah, Elkanah, we'll just go with Elkanah, sorry, uh, I assume that it's because she understood that Elkanah loved Hannah more, and the only thing that she had over Hannah was bearing children, so that's what I think, it could be something else. Anyway, every year the family pilgrimed to the temple of Shiloh. This was a common practice. Um, Once a year, the torment was especially bad, and Hannah ended up weeping uncontrollably in the temple, quote, in bitterness of soul, crying out to God. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. The haircutting thing uh, is might seem confusing, but it's actually a Nazarite vow, which would basically set someone apart for God. Not cutting their hair was a part of it. That was um, some of the things that went into it. So she's saying that she's going to dedicate Samuel's, her son's life. <laughs> I gave it away. Uh, she's going to dedicate her son to temple work, uh, to serving the Lord. Uh, well, as she's doing this, there's a priest in the temple whose name is Eli. He sees Hannah and thinks she's drunk because, quote, Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So he starts getting really upset because he thinks this woman is drunk in a ta- temple. And he's like, get out of here, you drunk. Like, literally leave. Why are you in here? And Hannah basically has to explain that she's not drunk. She's just, like, really sad, which I think is so funny. And so Samuel understands what she's saying and utters some really beautiful words. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. Right after that, it says that God opens Hannah's womb and she's able to conceive. She has a son whom she named Samuel, which means God has heard. What a beautiful name meaning that is. When he's weaned, Hannah fulfills her vow of dedicating him to the Lord and she brings Samuel to the temple to live a life of serving God. In 1 Samuel 2, we get a really beautiful prayer of Hannah and this is after she's had uh, Samuel and she's dedicating them to the temple. I want to read it all. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's so beautiful. Okay, so this says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak, speak such ignorance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out of out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she has but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and rises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from dust and he lifts the needy from 
the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silent in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What beautiful words are that? Uh, I think that these verses speak very wonderfully to the sovereignty of God, that he is the one who raises up nations, who uh, brings down nations, who opens the womb of the barren and closes those um, of other women. Uh, he is the one who <laughs> makes the wind blow and the wind stop. He is the ruler over all, all the earth. And so um, I just think those are very beautiful words. Anyway, the Bible says that Eli had several sons. So Eli is, remember, he's the priest at the temple. But they were all wicked, which was important later. Um, basically, these men were being sneaky in the temple. And they were also getting with some prostitutes right outside the temple. So not really good for priests to be doing, of course, or really anyone, but especially for priests. Um, so the Bible says that Samuel, however, is godly. He grows up in the temple and is raised by Eli. Samuel's parents visit him every year, and the Bible even says that his mother makes him a, quote, little robe each year, which I think is adorable. She comes with a little robe for her son. Uh, the Bible also says that he that God opened Hannah's womb several more times, enabling her to conceive and birth three sons and two daughters. So um, she has six kids in all, which is very beautiful. There's a brief portion about prophecy regarding Eli's boys. And basically God is going to take Eli's line out because his sons are so wicked. Um, time passes and Samuel is awoken one night by a voice calling him. Samuel wakes up to answer, thinking it's Eli calling him. And we get kind of this funny exchange between the two. Eli's confused because he didn't call Samuel. And Samuel's confused because he clearly heard a voice calling him. Uh, Samuel ends up hearing his name being called again. And Eli realizes that it's actually God... God's voice calling Samuel. So he tells Samuel to answer back next time. And sure enough, Samuel hears his name being called and uh, tells the Lord that, quote, his servant is listening. The Lord tells Samuel that he, the Lord, is going to send judgment on the house of Eli, just as he has said before. Like a true man, Samuel sleeps the rest of the night before telling Samuel about what God had revealed to him. I think that's so funny because he just receives this revelation about Eli's line that's like pretty important, but he's like, I'll just tell him tomorrow. I'm going to go sleep on it. So Samuel does end up telling Eli what's about to happen. And um, time passes and Samuel grows up and is described as being a righteous prophet renowned throughout Israel. So the next several chapters chronicle kind of a hot potato that is going on with the Ark of the Covenant. Basically, Israel goes to battle with the Philistines. Israel loses. The Ark gets taken. And during this time, Eli's two sons are killed. Then Eli dies. And then Eli's daughter-in-law, who's pregnant, ends up um, being so grieved. She goes into labor with this baby, and she ends up dying. Um, which is so, that's so sad. Like, all this death is going on. All these things are happening. Anyway, during this time, the Ark is with the Philistines, and they place it at a temple um, that's dedicated to one of their gods. So multiple days in a row, what happens is the people keep waking up and their idol is laying on the on the ground uh, in the same room as the ark. So the picture that you get is that their god is bowing down to the, the god of the real true god because uh, remember the ark of the covenant, God promises that he'll dwell right there. And so these fake idols are bowing down to God. So 
they do this like several days in a row and then people start getting tumors and dying because they have the ark and finally the Philistines are like we need to get this out of here so they move it to Gad where tumors and death strike again then Ekron where tumors and death strike again and finally they're so freaked out that they give the ark back along with a guilt offering of cows golden tumors yes they craft golden tumors and golden rats um I am not going to comment further on that because what anyway so 20 years pass and Israel is crying out to God because things have sucked so badly per usual idol worship has taken hold of the land and Samuel intercedes telling the people to rid themselves of idols and turn back to God the people listen and turn back to God for most of Samuel's remaining life, Israel prevails over their enemies and Samuel finished out his life as a judge to the people. Unfortunately, just like Eli's sons, Samuel's sons did not follow in his footsteps. They were dishonest and unjust. And the people saw this and came to Samuel. They begged for a king to lead them just like the other nations around them had. So Samuel brings this to God and God basically tells him like, look, tell them what's coming if they reject me, the perfect king, in exchange for this earthly king. Um, it's not going to be good basically is the gist of it. So God tells Samuel to tell the people how bad it'll get. Oppression and weeping will fall, but the Lord won't answer. If they want their cake, they'll eat it too. Of course, the people don't listen and they whine for a king like the other nations. In doing so, they reject God as king in favor of an earthly king. At this point, there's kind of a transition in the story. The focus is taken a bit off of Samuel and put onto Saul. Saul is described as, quote, a handsome young man, are as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone anyone else. So he was a good-looking guy, a tall glass of water, as some might say. Um, to condense a lot of verses, God tells Samuel there's a man whom Samuel should anoint as king, just as God said it would happen. Samuel appears in or Saul appears in front of Samuel, and Samuel anoints Saul as king. The Bible says that, quote, the spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. God radically changed Saul, and although we don't know what Saul was like before, we know that such a change happened um, that people around him noticed. After Saul is anointed king, Samuel gives a speech to Israel. He goes through the history of Israel, beginning at the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. He recounts that the people have continually turned away from God, but there's still hope. He urges them to turn towards the Lord and away from worthless idols. God's hand will fall heavily upon the people if they do not follow him. Several chapters, chapters regarding war take place. Um, you can read about some specifics in the book. In chapter 15, God tells Saul to completely wipe out an enemy. And Saul almost listens, but he takes some of the best livestock and the king of the area alive. And God gets very upset because Saul did not listen. Saul's disobedience causes God to reject Saul as king. So God's spirit comes upon Saul. Saul doesn't listen to God and God rejects Saul. Samuel comes to meet him and Saul is distraught over what he has done. Saul begs for forgiveness, but Samuel is incredibly angry about what Saul has done. After Samuel left Saul, the two did not talk for the rest of Samuel's life. At this, another shift occurs in the text. David enters the picture. And so God tells Samuel that he is to anoint a new king. And to make a long story short, this guy named Jesse had eight sons. Samuel took took a look at the first one and he was like oh this guy's a good candidate uh but God was like he's not the one so Samuel goes through seven sons but God rejects each one of them and they're really confused um and Saul asks Jesse if he has any other sons so he tells Samuel that he actually has an eighth son named David but he's he's tending to the sheep in the field 
Uh, David enters the picture and it is said and is said to be quote glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So he was a good looking guy as well. God tells Samuel to anoint him as king, and right then and there, in in that moment, uh, the text says that quote from that day on the spirit of God came powerfully upon David. The story jumps back to Saul, and we learn that God's spirit had left Saul. He is now being tormented by an evil spirit from the Lord. I don't know what this means, um, but here we are. That's what the text says, and if you want to look more into that, feel free to do so. I need to look more into that. So Saul's servant sees that he's being tormented by a spirit and suggests that someone should come play the, the liar for him. Um, so I don't know, maybe the spirit just needed to dance a little bit and get on his merry way, but I think that's so funny. Oh, you're being tormented by uh, an evil spirit? Just just listen to some music. It'll cure you. Anyway, uh, Saul agrees and asks for a really good lyre player. Liar? Lear? Liar. Anyway, well, guess who they get? David. David and Saul get along well, and David was made one of Saul's armor bearers. Okay, a little bit more and then we'll finish up. Now comes a super popular story that you more than likely are familiar with. David and Goliath. Long story short, David kills a giant fella with a sling and a stone. It's honestly a funny story that you should read for yourself in 1 Samuel 17. Um, David takes Goliath's head back to Saul. And Saul's pretty shook up because, well, David is holding the head of a man um, who had been an utter torment to the Israelites for a long time. And at this point, Jonathan and David, um, Jonathan is Saul's son one of Saul's son so Jonathan and David become homies for life David continues to rise in military ranks and at one point women of the town start singing this really funny song and it says Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands this makes Saul really upset and jealous because these people of the town are talking very highly about uh, David and less highly about him uh, from then on Saul has his eyes on David. The only thing David could have that Saul didn't was the kingdom. I'm going to stop right there. The, uh, another shift kind of occurs in the story where Saul basically turns into a really bad guy. So I think that is enough for today. <laughs> We're 20 minutes in. Um, just about. Anyway, come back next week and we will talk about um, the second part of the story. First Kings is a really long book. There's like 31 chapters and we're through about 17 of them. So thank you again for tuning into the ANA podcast. I really appreciate you being here. If you feel so inclined, leave a like and a comment and subscribe. I love interacting with you um, in the comments. It's so fun. Anyway, have a good day. listening to this week's episode of the a and podcast please consider leaving a like and a comment on apple spotify or google podcasts so others can find our show and get connected to jesus you can stay connected with us both on instagram and youtube at aapod2022 again that's at aapod2022 have any topics you'd like here discussed or questions you'd like answered dm us on instagram business inquiries can be emailed to us at a and a pod 22 at gmail.com again that's a and a pod 22 at gmail.com may the lord strengthen and bless you today and always